the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, indeed. They checked my ID at the door. (laughs) They let me in anyway. How are you? Good to have you with us. It is a Tuesday, the fifth day of March, and we are steadfast into... What seems to be a never-ending rainy season. I'm looking out here through the studio windows into the hills, and I see it's dark, dark clouds out there. So no doubt more rain on the way. And uh, hopefully, though, the rain will uh, will dry up by the time we head toward the weekend, most importantly as we head into the Bass Convention. Speaking of the Bass Convention, this Thursday and Friday, we'll be live on location from 5 until 7 p.m. Get a chance to meet a number of the keynote speakers, a lot of the uh, workshop organizers as well will be joining us. And I hope you're going to be joining us at this 57th annual event really designed to help equip lay people to do a better job. It's a lot of sharing best practices, sort of that iron sharpening iron, as I like to call it, experience where folks at different ministries, over 300 churches, in fact, from across the Bay Area, gathering together, sharing ideas, talking about new ways to to branch out, to increase effectiveness of ministry, to minister to whole new communities. One of the big challenges for a lot of churches is when they were founded in their neighborhoods years ago, there was a certain demographic, and today all of that has changed. And so how do we keep up with the times and continue to remain on the cutting edge while yet presenting a timeless message? That is much of the focus of the Bass Convention, and you can get more details on the web at BassConvention.org. That's BassConvention.org. And again, we hope you'll drop by and uh, wave at us or throw rotten fruit, whatever you're inclined to do. (laughs) No, don't do that. Be kind. I don't look good in red. any rate, we'll hope you drop by and say hello to us. We'll be at Redwood Chapel in Castro Valley, which once again is hosting this event. And again, details available on the web at BassConvention.org. One of the speakers at the upcoming Bass Convention is my first guest tonight, um, who he himself is undergoing a bit of a, a transition transition here as he transitions into what had been uh, regional leadership with NextGen into the new position for him as president of CB America. We're pleased to have with us Bay Area Pastor, Dr. David Whitaker. Dr. Whitaker, welcome to the program and congratulations on the new post. Thanks, Craig. Um, appreciate the opportunity for sure. You're, uh, you're going to have your hands busy. I understand that in addition to your new responsibilities um, as national president, you're going to continue on as lead pastor at uh, Morgan Hill Bible Church. Correct. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it'll be a challenge, but I, I'm looking forward to the opportunity of engaging with our churches and just some of the things I learn um, on the ground in my own church and get to share that with other churches as well. 
And that's really a big part of what the association does, doesn't it, in, in, in the sense that there is a huge focus on networking and the notion, as I suggested even in my opening remarks concerning the Bass Convention, that it's a lot about sharing best practices so that we're not reinventing the wheel and we can learn from others what works, what doesn't work in order to take the effectiveness of our local church ministries to the next level. And I guess that's really where it's at. I mean, in spite of, you know, all the whiz-bang out there of new technology and we can have podcasts and internet and all of that that can help to augment or supplement what we do, it really comes down to the impact of the one-on-one ministry of the local church, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think as churches, we've become isolated. Most of us as pastors are isolated, and we try to do ministry by ourselves. And, you know, as I look at Scripture and I look at the call in, in the book of Acts to reach our Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the world, uh, the pattern was that the body of Christ worked together, and that uh, there there was no isolation or just uh, autonomy. There was uh, interdependence of the Church working together, and I think we can learn from each other, and I think Bass Convention is one of those ways where uh, we can come together and learn from each other. And, of course, the the real key here is to help foster congregational health and well-being, which I know is a big part of the the focus of CB America, and and, and you're going to bring that um, as part of your ongoing priority, taking over the helm as the organization's new new president. Talk to us a bit about that. When we talk about congregational health or congregational well-being, what are we really speaking to? Well, we're, we're really talking about getting back to the basics of uh, our, our mission. Uh, we're, we're here to make disciples, uh, build, build people in their faith, in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, so as an organization, uh, our, our role and goal is really to help network the Church, uh, help us uh, to be um, strengthening the Church, uh, to help plant new churches, and to raise up new leaders to uh, engage people with the Gospel. I think it's, uh, it's easy for us to get focused on keeping our programs and our activities happening, and I think it's important to step back and, and just look at the big picture and ask the question, are we really making disciples? Uh, are we engaging our community with the good news of Jesus? And perhaps for some, and this is not to cast aspersions toward any denominational group or or a particular church, but perhaps some has found that putting more focus, more emphasis on programs, to a fashion I'll call it entertainment, we've kind of sacrificed the focus of discipleship. And and sadly, maybe in that sense, have have taken a lot of the power out of the church because let's face it, that original model that caused the, the the growth of the church, the first century church, to explode the way it did across multiple continents with a dozen guys that, quite frankly, in many cases were, were ill-equipped. I, I think if I had been on that committee, I would have said no to probably eleven of the, <laughs> of the twelve, maybe all twelve. And yet, under difficult, if not impossible, circumstances from a human viewpoint, they turned the world upside down. And, of course, the model that they used was the very model that Christ himself created, and that is the model of discipleship. Do you think in some ways we've gotten away from that and, as a result, lost the effectiveness of the church? Well, I I think in our desire to be relevant 
to our community. Sometimes we compromise the, the very core message uh, of the good news um, that we have, and, and that good news includes some bad news, that, that we're broken, that we desperately uh, need a Savior and need, a, um, need His rescue, and that He did come to rescue us and to bring us uh, into relationship with Him. And sometimes I think um, we can become obstacles to that message both in um, it, try, trying to focus on the entertainment as opposed to the gospel, and, and sometimes on the opposite extreme, uh, we're so caught up with our traditions that we forsake the commandment. Um, we forsake the reason why God put, put us here on this planet in the first place is to be his ambassadors. Dr. Whitaker, as we mentioned in the get-go, you are going to be one of the key speakers at the upcoming Bass Convention. You bring some unique perspective in so far as uh, pastoring a a local church, having the regional perspective in your role for uh, some number of years as executive director of NextGen and now making the the transition into national leadership. Um, Talk to us about some of the perspective that you hope to share with um, conference uh, participants when you speak? Well, I, I think some of the things that happen oftentimes at conferences is they can, you can come away being really discouraged. Uh, you, you sit and you hear from people who are really doing it well, uh, making impacts and giving you best practices, and um, sometimes can really get discouraged thinking, I'm not that kind of leader, we don't have that kind of church, we don't have that kind of facility, we don't have that kind of ability. And I, I, I want to go back to the life of David and just remind ourselves that um, where does God get his leaders from? Um, you know, you had King Saul who seemed like he had it all together and he stood out amongst all the people and... Uh, Yet uh, he really missed the point, and um, where God got his leader was from a pasture, uh, someone taking care of sheep, and uh, I think we, we need to go back to the basics of where leaders come from. Good focus, and I think, again, to understand that that it, it's easy, as you point out, to sometimes walk away, um, even from an event that's designed to be encouraging with a sense of discouragement because you think, gee, we don't have the staff size or the resources or uh, we're not geographically situated as an ideal circumstance as somebody else, and so you feel like you can't. When in so many ways you can, it just comes down to a matter of perspective and and remembering exactly where it is that God has called you to be and then utilizing the tools that he's made available to all of us in order to infect change in our local communities. Dr. David Whitaker. He is, again, the um, incoming president of CB America. He's been involved at the regional leadership level as executive director of NextGen, which is one of the the regional ministry organizations under Conservative Baptist uh, of America. And he will be one of the keynoters at the upcoming Bass Convention, taking place March 7, 8, and 9, hosted by Redwood Chapel in Castro Valley. And again, to get more details, you can go online. It's not too late to register for the convention at bassconvention.org. That's BassConvention.org. And uh, we'll, of course, be broadcasting live both Thursday and Friday from 5 until 7 p.m. both days. So we hope you drop by and say hello. Our thanks to Dr. David Whitaker, again, the incoming president of CB America and also lead teaching pastor at Morgan Hill Bible Church. 
5.15. Let's get a look at traffic. And as we do so, we turn a corner to say hello to Michael Bennett with some advice on how to get all of us around that corner. Hey, Michael, what's up? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 520 on the clock. Welcome back to this Tuesday edition of Lifeline. I bet you've asked several people this question today, or you've been asked this question. How are you? Or how are you doing? And typically our pat answer, sort of built in, I think, culturally, is the knee-jerk reaction, fine. I mean, occasionally you might find somebody honest enough to say, in response to the question, how are you doing? Oh, awful, terrible, my wife left me, the dog ran away, you know, all of that. But usually we we just simply sort of brush off the question, perhaps largely out of fear, or or maybe the perspective that fine sort of seems to be as trite as well, you know, uh, the response, if you do tell somebody things are not going all so well in your office, well, or your life rather, just hang in there or don't give up. Um, the truth, though, sadly, for a lot of this is we have. We respond with fine because we just don't want to go into the details. Perhaps what's going on in our life, in our relationships, in our finances, in our careers, within our families is so painful that rather than say anything, we've just resigned ourselves to the acceptance of our lot in life, our situation, and we wish to as quickly move on from that dialogue as we possibly can. My guest, though, tonight would perhaps argue that the response don't give up is not really trite. And in fact, it can be a response that can be the the stepping off point to literally get your life back on track again. Pastor Kyle Eidelman is senior pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He is the author of a number of best-selling books, including the latest, Don't Give Up, Faith That Gives You the Confidence to Keep Believing and the Courage to Keep Going. And Pastor Eidelman, great to have you on the program. Thanks for having me on. Great to be with you. Yeah, we all tend to do that, don't we? Uh, just, how, hey, how you doing today? Oh, I'm fine. And we just kind of move on. We, we don't want to linger at that at that question and answer for too very long. And, and, and I suppose largely because if you look at even the headline news today and you dialogue with a lot of people, you come to find out that there's a tremendous amount of discouragement out there. There's a lot of issues going on in people's lives that tend to drag us down to such a level that they just want to get through it. And any notion of becoming out the other side victorious almost seems to be erased. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I do think that's true. In fact, I've read that one of the more common responses other than fine for how you doing is the is the response of tired. You know, that um, we, we are fatigued, and uh, that's one of the reasons why we're tempted to give up. I think that we get tired of, um, you know, some of the obstacles we face, some of the same arguments at home, some of the stories we read in the news, and uh, and I, I think don't give up can sound like a trite response to a trite response, that I'm, you know, someone says they're tired, and you say, well, don't give up, but one of the reasons I really wanted to write this book was because the call to endure and persevere and to not give up needs to be rooted in something that is real, something that is deeper than just a 
um, a, a cliche. It needs to be rooted in something deeper than just self-determination. And, uh, and so the book really is a focus on uh, faith being a foundation for enduring and perseverance. So that something really deeper is more than just self-talk. We know that it's certainly within some of the self-help uh, books and uh, many of these speakers that run around the country, Anthony Robbins, people of that sort, um, and even, even some well-known um, so-called faith teachers uh, focus a lot on self-talk. But you're really talking about something here that goes to a much deeper level and, and perhaps can best be modeled by looking at Jesus himself, who's always the best model for all things in life. Uh, can you imagine how many times in in the, the human form, in the flesh form, that he could have been tempted to give up during the course of his time heading to the cross? Yeah, Jesus is the best example, and aren't we glad that he didn't give up? But you're right, he certainly could have. And and there is a tendency, I think, at times to um, think of endurance to as a, as just a oh a um, self assurance that I'm going to have courage, and that courage is rooted in a confidence in who I am, and and yet that confidence tends to get exposed when life gets really hard. And so the question is, you know, where does my true confidence come from? Because my ability to endure, my uh, ability to be courageous and keep going is directly related to what I put my confidence in. And, and so learning to put my confidence in God, even though there's, as Hebrews 11 says, there's things I don't understand or things I can't see, I have faith in him, and that faith allows me um, the confidence to, to keep going. So this is as much about uh, viewpoint or perspective on things as it, as it is about one's own relationship with the Lord then, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I the way I would say it is, for, for many of us, we tend to define faith as uh, a confidence that God will do what we want Him to do. But that's not the relationship we have with God where, uh, you know, if we just believe, then all of our wishes will come true. Instead, our faith in God is really about His faithfulness, that He is putting together um, the story in a way that maybe isn't how we would write it, but it is, but it is in a way that, that can be be trusted, as Romans 8 talks about, that you know, in all things God works for the good. I have a, a metaphor that I use where I, I talk about putting together a puzzle at my grandma's house. She used to, to have her puzzles in Ziploc bags, and we would dump the puzzle pieces out on the table, but we didn't have the box that uh, the puzzle came in. We didn't have a picture on the box. So we're trying to put together a puzzle with the pieces, but no picture, but you can't see how the pieces fit together. Uh, you don't understand what they're forming. You don't understand uh, how they interlock. And as a result, we never, as grandkids, we never would finish it. And, and faith is a determination to keep working on a puzzle, even if you don't have the picture on the box. God knows what that is. So our relationship with Him is that we have faith in, in something we cannot see, that all the pieces, even though they may not make sense to us in a moment, that they're coming together, and uh, we can have faith in the picture that He has in mind. 
And, and you dive into this topic with some uh, some depth uh, inside the pages of Don't Give Up when you talk about finding the courage to finish what we start. And boy, how many of us, whether that be challenges on the job, in a relationship with the family, whatever it might be, that we dive into something maybe entirely with, with the best of intentions, and yet some things come along, we get discouraged, we get um, distracted, and ultimately we just decide, you know what, it's easier to get give up, but you're really calling upon us from a, a relational viewpoint with Christ, discover the courage to finish what we start. Yeah, and to understand that in Him, we can find a strength that we don't have on our own. I, I, as a pastor, I, I certainly talk to people uh, who have tried to um, kind of self-help themselves to uh, to, to a, a place of completion and trying to find victory, but they figured out somewhere along the line that it's not enough. And so, you know, recognizing that his strength is made perfect in our weakness, and so so we can delight in our weakness. We can find the strength we need in in him, and um, and that's you know that takes some humility. It requires asking for help. Well, I think one of the reasons a lot of people give up is because um, it's difficult for us to ask other people for help. It's difficult for us to ask God for help. But when we humble ourselves before Him, we humble ourselves before others, it's it's sometimes very surprising, the, the help that is available, that we just need to humble ourselves enough to ask. And you're really moving us away from this notion, and I alluded to this earlier, that, that self-talk, uh, you know, there can be a degree to which it's healthy if you're, if you're quoting passage of, of Scripture. That's right. If you're just trying yeah. to convince yourself or talk yourself into something, uh, that's not always the most helpful thing because oftentimes it's it's based on uh, you know either either vanity in terms of confidence in ourselves as opposed to putting our faith and confidence in Him, or almost as if we're sort of taking the the, the spiritual version of whistling past the cemetery, meaning we're terrified of all of this, and rather than facing our fears up front, we just want to engage in some sort of distraction. Yeah, I think that's right. The uh, the question is, the self-talk, is it rooted in God's promises? Is it rooted in truth rather than in wishful thinking? And, you know, I, I do think, uh, you know, I'm talking to, to people that oftentimes the negative self-talk uh, is causing, you know, a significant problem, right? So they, they are reading from a script as they start their day that is a script of defeat and it's a script of discouragement and and it's a script where you know they're the victim and it doesn't seem like god can redeem and things are too broken and and the way we replace that the way we flip that script is not by wishful thinking but it's by looking at god's promises it's by you know romans 8 uh, 31. If God's with us, who can be against us? And what can separate us from the love of God? It's uh, it's by reading Scripture like Hebrews 12 that tells us to let us fix our eyes on Jesus uh, so that we don't grow weary and lose heart. And First Peter, cast all your anxieties on God because He cares for you. And so as, as we replace the negative script with positive words that aren't just out of our own consciousness, but instead rooted in Scripture, um, we we find a different kind of strength. And really what you're talking about is the kind of choices that we make here. A lot of people, as you're describing, choose that victim mentality, but that is a choice. And learning to move beyond that, you know, what do you, you either choose to lose or you choose to overcome? Which will you choose? We'll talk about that next. Our conversation with best-selling author, 
Kyle Eidelman, the new book is called Don't Give Up, Faith That Gives You the Confidence to Keep Believing and the Courage to Keep Going. We'll take a time out. We'll be uh, keep going here in just a moment. Right now, though, at 530, we're going to see how your going is on the freeways. The latest with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're visiting today with Pastor Kyle Eidelman. He's senior pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, author of a number of best-selling books. His latest, just uh, newly published by Baker Books, is called Don't Give Up, Faith That Gives You the Confidence to Keep Believing and the Courage to Keep Going. Just before the break, Pastor Eidelman, we were talking about this notion of victim mentality, and it sometimes seems to be a a popular place to kind of retreat to. But at the end of the day, isn't that ultimately largely a a choice in terms of of how you see yourself? Uh, I mean, some people, I think, get the sense that they're so overwhelmed by their circumstances that there's absolutely nothing and no one that can change them. So they kind of just, you know, accept their lot in life. But is it quite that simple? Well, you know, I, I certainly think that there are uh, moments in life where it is uh, fine and appropriate and uh, to, to grieve, and we should allow ourselves that. We certainly recognize that in the Psalms of Lament that David uh, writes, that that is not a wrong response. The problem becomes when we we live there and we don't um, we don't seek the joy of the Lord as our strength. I I think it, it I think it's a choice. I think though it is greatly determined, that choice is greatly determined by our perspective. And if I can um, get a perspective that allows me to see what I have to be grateful for, it can um, it can quickly turn me uh, away from playing the part of a victim. For, for me, this happened maybe uh, about five or six years ago. I, I was pretty discouraged. I really wasn't sure why. just didn't have a lot of uh, motivation and didn't have the patience I should have been having with people. And um, I, I took my family with me, and we went for about eight weeks to do uh, some mission work in Haiti. And I spent th- those eight weeks with a Haitian pastor uh, named Idri. And um, is spending time with him for eight weeks was a humbling experience as I saw what he was enduring and what uh, what joy he had as he uh, as he served his his uh, calling as a pastor and it, and it changed my perspective it made me realize that I had I had a lot to be grateful for, and my perspective had just gotten uh, skewed over the years, and I, I needed to be more intentional to, to look at things through um, eyes of gratitude. And so I, I think most of us need that perspective check on a semi-regular basis, where we we look at things um, you know, from the perspective of others and what others have had to endure. Certainly, missionary biographies uh, can uh, be used to give us perspective and to inspire us. Uh, but when we watch other people go through something really challenging, and they just refuse to be a victim, and you see them living with joy and peace, um, it, it can help us look at our own lives a little bit more accurately. All right. How do you answer the person eavesdropping on our conversation right now who says, but pastor, you don't understand. There are people out there that 
are capable of overcoming, but I don't have their faith. I don't have their knowledge of Scripture. I don't feel like I have the depth of relationship with God that they do. And here's my problem. I'm in a position right now where I feel absolutely crushed and overwhelmed. Not It's not just a head thing. It's a physical feeling that I get that what I'm facing right now, maybe with illness in the family or the loss of a job or uh, severe relationship problems, a marriage on the brink of divorce, is so overwhelming that I feel as if I, I can barely find the courage to lift my head off the pillow every day. What do you say to that person? You know, one thing I would say is you take it a day at a time. Uh, I, I think this is really important, that that we become discouraged and we, we quit, but if we would just take the next step on that journey and then the next step, in other words, if you look at a marathon, it, it's some 55,000 steps. And if, if you're looking at your situation and saying, I have no idea how things are ever going to get better or how my marriage is ever going to be repaired or how um, you, you know I'll ever get out of this discouragement that I'm in, it will feel overwhelming. But if you can just say for today, uh, just one day, one step at a time, I think that's a significant piece. I also think that uh, making sure that you have someone with you that uh, that you know in a local church there are many people uh, that should be willing to bear the burden so that we're not alone in the struggle i think that's really significant that that we don't try to endure it by ourselves um, and then you know reading passages of scripture like second corinthians 4 8 came to mind as you were talking where where paul says we are pressed but not crushed uh, we are in despair uh, or we are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. And and I, I really believe that faith is not you know standing out in the rain and pretending like it's sunny outside. That it it's it's okay to feel pressed, but to know that that you are not crushed, uh, that you're struck down, but you're 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 not destroyed. You're you're knocked down, but you're not knocked out. And um, and and learning to just a day at a time. Claim, claim those promise, promises, and then, and then do it the next day, and then do it the next day. Uh, that's what perseverance is. It's taking one more step when you're sure you can't take another. Is part of what can be perhaps the crippling factor here, I'll call it, is simply people that are struggling with anxiety, as I described, and, and a lot of that anxiety is being stoked, being built up by just plain fear of the unknown. Well, what if I try and fail? Or what if, what if my marriage doesn't uh, get healed? Then what will I do? What, what if I can't find a job? I'll lose my house. Is a lot of this simply fear-based? And, and, and if so, how much of that is, is instilled on us by, by the enemy himself? Yeah, you know, the I, I think a lot of anxiety is based on those what if questions, and um, one of the things Peter tells us is, you know, you cast your anxiety on God because He cares for you. But the word cast is this idea of you transferring the weight. It's not just letting it go and it, you know, slips into space. It's it's intentionally transferring the weight over to God. Now, one of the ways I, I try to help people deal with their anxiety in this is learning how to pray biblically, and, and what I mean by that is oftentimes when I pray with someone who's really struggling, they will spend, you know, the entire time praying and telling God about all of their troubles, about all of their anxiety. 
um, and then they're finished, and they feel worse than they did before. And if you look at the, the, the Psalms, you'll see David shift. So he'll begin talking about to God about his anxieties, but by the time you're done reading that Psalm, he's talking to his anxieties about God. And, and I really do think learning to pray in, in that way, where, where you're not just telling God about your trouble, there, that, that's good, it's good to share that burden, but to cast that burden upon God, then you, you need to start talking to your trouble about God. And, you know, faith is a journey. It, it's, not, it's not just an easy button that you push and suddenly you're filled with it to overflowing. You know, it's, it's a journey, and you can grow in it just like you can grow in other things um, as you exercise it and as you practice it. And I guess and you also talk about this in the book. I guess another perspective here is just a matter of viewpoint. And what you're suggesting, I think, is that people sometimes spend so much time considering their circumstances as opposed to putting a lot of that energy into considering Christ. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I go back to Romans 8, where where, um, where Paul says, you know, does it mean we're no longer loved because we face uh, persecution and hunger and nakedness and danger and sword? And he says, no, you know, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And, and the reason Paul could say that with such confidence is because um, it was not he was not determining God's blessing by his immediate circumstances. He was determining God's blessing and faithfulness by the cross, number one, you know, that this um, great gesture of God's love through Jesus is, um, is, is, com- is confidence that we can have that he's faithful and that he's with us. And then number two, uh, that our hope is ultimately in heaven. And Romans 5 says that there is uh, you know, a hope that doesn't disappoint. And, you know, the reality is life on this earth can be really hard and really difficult, and it can last a long time. Um, but we can still have joy on the journey because we know it's, you know, as Paul says in Second Corinthians 4, these troubles will one day be considered as light and momentary when, uh, when we are in heaven. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus. We, we fix our eyes on uh, our heavenly home. The book, again, is called Don't Give Up, Faith That Gives You the Confidence to Keep Believing and the Courage to Keep Going. If this isn't a book that speaks directly to you, maybe there's somebody that you know whose circumstances, um, either directly or around the periphery, we have touched on today, and you're thinking, boy, I know somebody that's in that place. They just seem to be stuck right now. The big question is, how do you get unstuck? Well, we've got some good insights for you. Again, the book is called Don't Give Up, Faith That Gives You the Confidence to Keep Believing and the Courage to Keep Going, newly published by Baker Books, and you'll find it at Bay Area bookstores as well as through Usual Suspects, Amazon.com, and you can also get more information about the book on Pastor Eidelman's website at KyleEidelman.com. Pastor Eidelman, thanks so much for the time and the insights. 544. Let's see what's going on out there in the world of traffic, and we'll head over to the KFAX Traffic Center with Michael Bennett. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, it's amazing. We look at the way 
Technology and information has changed so rapidly, and we see the growing face of the demographics in our nation today, uh, certainly uh, most notably in a state like California. Somebody had a comment to me the other day, you know, for much of the early history of the United States up until uh, probably the last 50 or 60 years, and and to a great degree it continues to this day, though not as prominently, uh, America had been the biggest and most active sending nation in terms of sending nations or sending individuals overseas to the nations to bring about uh, the um, dissemination of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've learned in more recent years that uh, while that can be effective, uh, even more still it's effective to help train nationals because not only is it um, better stewardship from the economics of it all, but then, too, you're not having to call upon individuals to suddenly immerse themselves in a new culture, a new language, new surroundings, which takes some time for acclimation before you can really become effective at what you're doing in terms of ministering to people on the ground in country. With all of that said, a buddy of mine the other day made the observation. He says, you know, with the changing demographics of America and the way the Internet uh, has has made this um, spinning sphere of ours called planet Earth so small, it's almost as if the world has come to us. And in many degrees, it has. And this is a, perhaps a renewed opportunity for we as the church, the body of Christ, to understand the rare and unique opportunity that we have to uh, share the good news, to share that hope. Uh, and the and the good news of the answer that we have through Christ Jesus. With that thought in mind, when we talk about um, the world and we get down to the missiology of of a Christian worldview, what exactly is that? What do we mean by that? Well, with some in-depth look at how to become a world-class Christian, becoming a part of God's global kingdom, we're joined now by a best-selling author, Paul Brothrick. And uh, Paul, great to have you on the program tonight. Thanks, Greg. Good to be out on the West Coast, at least by voice. Yeah, I must say, I, I guess welcome back. As I understand it, the last time that you were out here, uh, unless there's an in-between trip that I hadn't heard about, the last time you were out in our fair city, there was a whole lot of shaking going on. Oh, I think I've had a few trips in between. Yeah, okay. I was, <laughs> I was there during uh, the October 1989 shake-up. Uh, I think it was in 89, wasn't it? Or was it 91? 19, 1989, October 17th to be precise. I was down at the Hyatt Regency Burlingame at a conference. I was teaching at about 5.15, and the room began to shake. Of course, I thought it was the Holy Ghost coming upon us, but it <laughs> uh, turned out to be an earthquake, which was my first and only earthquake experience. I'm from the Boston area all my life, and uh, so it was quite an unusual experience, to say the least. Well, we're, we're pleased uh, to have the distinction of uh, having provided you with your first and, and hopefully only experience in, in such matters. But it, it's interesting as we start our visit tonight, uh, Paul, with a reference to uh, the, the ground shaking. We've certainly seen a lot of that, too, in the spiritual realm, haven't we? You know, I made, made reference in my opening remarks to how the world is getting so much smaller and how that in many respects, as we had been uh, the, the largest and most active sending nation in terms of sending missionaries overseas, how that in many respects, the world is now coming to us. Absolutely. And, you know, outside of the actual time that Jesus walked the earth, I actually can't think of a time in Christian history that's more exciting to be alive than today. Partly because all those American and European lives that got laid down as uh, martyrs for Christ, you know, a century and a, or 50 years ago, 
uh, their lives have brought forth fruit, and now you have uh, the whole church, as the saying goes, taking the whole gospel to the whole world. And uh, it's just a staggering thing. And as I think you quoted earlier, uh, the world has come to us. And I was reading not too long ago a statistic that said the United Nations is citing the fact that the United States is the only country on Earth with someone from every other country on Earth living in it. Mm. And, we, you know, when we used to have to go to some really difficult places, in many respects, many of us can reach the unreached peoples of the world simply by reaching out to the... Uh, you know, our Muslim coworker, or the uh, the Buddhist guy who's down the street, or the Hindu who happens to be my medical doctor. I mean, you know, it's it's amazing how the world has changed. We sit here with these devices in the palm of our hand that allows us to text, email. Uh, we can look up uh, websites anywhere around the globe. I think we certainly today, as, as Americans, have got a pretty good understanding of what it means to be globally connected. But I have to wonder, though, Paul, from a Christian perspective, um, as much as the, the technology has advanced quite nicely, has the theology kept up with it, meaning uh, as, as we understand what it means to be globally connected, do Christians really understand also what means to be uh, globally concerned? I think that's, a, that's an excellent question, um, and I think obviously the answer is going to vary according to the Christian you talk to. The, the sad reality is that technology has given us access to more knowledge than any of us can possibly handle. And as a result, uh, we can become either numb to it or we just shrug it off and say, I can't do anything. I can't make any difference at all. And, uh, you know, you mentioned this book, Being a World-Class Christian. Um, it, it's really about trying to help people see that, you know, you might not be able to change the world, but you might be able to do something of global significance right in your own community, right in your own neighborhood, or at your workplace, or something like that. But I think you're right. It's, technology has made it uh, so overwhelming that, you know, you, you, you go live to the tsunami in Sri Lanka, and by the third day of seeing it, you're just numb to it, because you can't really do that much about it, and it's just another news report to you after a while. And I think that's, you know, we, most of us have forgotten to be praying for Egypt, and yet a year ago, Egypt was every day in the news. Now it's still going through the news, but we're not paying as much attention to it because yeah. we have kind of a short attention span. Well, and the new technology, too, you know, where uh, heretofore it might have taken months for the news to arrive from overseas and be disseminated across the spans of a country like the United States, uh, typically by word of mouth, uh, Telegraph to a degree, and 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 the printed page now happens in the matter of seconds, and as quickly as it comes, it's also just as quickly replaced by something else. Uh, you, you made reference to the idea that we might be able to make some changes, we might be able to have some influence, but I have to wonder, uh, as Christians living in this modern world, with all that's going on around us, as we speak to that notion of being globally concerned. Is this something that is an option for some believers, or does it really kind of narrow down to being a mandate? Well, it depends on what Bible you're going to use. <laughs> I mean, frankly, if you look in the Scriptures, you cannot escape the fact that God's vision, God's view is for the world and for His people, because for whatever mysterious reason God has chosen to do His work in the world through people, broken people, forgiven people like you and me, and every one of us has some degree of responsibility. 
In other words, the mandate, since you used that word, that Jesus gave before he ascended into heaven, you know, to make disciples of all nations, or to preach the gospel to all creation, or to, uh, to be, you know, preach the gospel beginning in Jerusalem to all the nations. I mean, all those things, that they still um, remain for each Christian today. And our question is not where we are sent. i sorry, our question is not if we are sent into the world. The question is where. And, you know, opening our eyes to the global realities that God said in the Psalms, you know, declare my glory to the nations, my wonderful deeds to all peoples, that's still binding on us today. It's not a matter of just, you know, tucking ourselves away in our safe little bubble and, uh, and thanking God that we have a nice, prosperous life. It's about looking out into the world and saying, what difference can I make that God has unique, uh, uniquely equipped me for? Today, we're talking about uh, what it means to be a world-class Christian. Uh, let me be careful that we didn't say a worldly Christian. A lot of folks have got that down pat. We're talking about being a world-class Christian. And with us is best-selling author Paul Brothwick. We're going to come back after a brief timeout, dive a little bit deeper in here, you know, as we talk about the way in which uh, television and satellite and the Internet and technology has uh, has brought us closer together. I wonder if it's also made us easier to be more uh, spectators as to what is going on in the world around us, as opposed to being participants. We'll dive into that question as this edition of Lifeline continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 